There's never just two sides to a sports issue. Welcome to Three Sides Sports Talk. Welcome everyone to an exciting edition of Three Sides Sports Talk. Todd Kleinheinz alongside Jerry Sue and Jeff Kerpinski. Plenty of football to get into, but what makes this episode special is we're going to have our first guest um, of this podcast. We will be welcoming Pac-12 play-by-play anal- and uh, color analyst Troy Clarity. Troy has spanned the gamut of all kinds of sports from lacrosse to soccer to arena football to everything the Pac-12 has to offer. So we'll get to talking to him at the bottom of the hour. But before we get to him, as always, let's dive into the hot football topics of the day. And there's always something hot with the NFL. So Jeff, you're in Arizona. Is everyone stoked for J.J. Watt? Yeah, listening to the local sports talk, usually they just have like one or two guys on, but right when it broke, they had the other guys call in and they sat around, had a little powwow, super excited, like they're, you know, Super Bowl bound. Um, So, yeah, I guess they're excited. I haven't really heard from too many people, um, you know, as far as like the team goes, you know, fans. I guess I haven't, haven't spoken to many people but about that, but like my take on it was, and I was talking to my cousin about it was, you know, big deal. I think we talked about it. Neither one of, I don't think any of us were, were down with signing JJ Watt, um, especially for that kind of money. And then I didn't see Arizona coming as well. I mean, I, I thought Pittsburgh, Buffalo, you know, all the ones we talked about um, Arizona, not, not, a, not a, not somewhere I thought he would go. And I think that's what I heard from other people as well. Like on the sports talk was they didn't think they were even a player for JJ Watt, but you know, especially for that money. I mean, I'm just really surprised. <laughs> Um, I guess like, like you said, Todd, uh, money talks, you know, you want to chase rings, but uh, my thought is still seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seven Arizona Cardinals. Like that, that doesn't change anything for me, especially in this division. Yeah. Jerry. Well, the fact that Vegas didn't see it coming, uh, it was definitely a surprising to, I think everyone that JJ picked Arizona, Um, especially since it felt like he made more money, more of a priority than winning, which you would have thought that was going to be, his number one goal, which was to sign with a surefire championship contender. Um, but, you know, there are ch- connections between Arizona and Houston, which I guess makes it somewhat log- a logical landing spot, right? Because Vince uh, Vance Joseph was the Texans defensive backs coach back in the day. And since he's now the Arizona's defensive coordinator, Watt gets to play in the same defensive scheme. Uh, plus, he'll have help playing alongside Chandler Jones and his buddy DeAndre Hopkins will be there. So, like you know, if he is healthy, I, I definitely see it being just, you know, another problem that the Niners will s- certainly have to contend with um, in terms of their offensive line. But as far as the overall, I'm not sure. I don't think this puts Arizona over the top. I agree. Um, it's, it's certainly a splashy move because J.J. is one of the faces of the NFL, but to swing balance of power, not only in the in the conference, but let alone the division, I don't see it. JJ has missed half the games over the past couple of years. And this is not to say I wouldn't have liked to see him in a Niner uniform because I think he could have alleviated some pressure uh, opposite Nick Bosa. But as Jeff said, that was a lot of guaranteed money for a guy who is past his prime and inevitably is going to probably be a spot pass rusher at best in order to keep him healthy. But 
the Cardinals' biggest issue for, for me was they still need to keep Kyler healthy and upright, and their offensive line was still their major bugaboo. At the end of last year, the Cardinals needed to win a game, including a game against the Niners led by C.J. Beathard in order to make the playoffs. And they put up, what, 17 points? So I don't think it was the defense that was such a such a negative that they needed to do this. But, hey, it gets people talking. It's J.J. I just want to know how that Houston to Arizona pipeline is so <laughs> clean. I mean – DeAndre Hopkins, J.J. Watt, if Deshaun goes, I mean, Cal McNair is going to be in the ring of honor of Arizona before he's in the ring of honor in Houston. So, I mean, I will say why this would this why this makes sense for Arizona. Um, You mentioned um, about how they performed against the Niners or how they, you know, they didn't perform against the Niners. And I think bringing in a guy like J.J. Watt that they're hoping will. Um, inject kind of some fire into that locker room, you know, and instill some more accountability so that games which or must win games, they don't fall flat on, you know, and, and maybe they're taking a page out of the Niners playbook, if you will, seeing as though they're losing a bunch of their defensive backs. Maybe they're just like, Hey, let's just load up on the D line and try to build that way. Yeah. And, and one other thing I was going to uh, mention, you guys maybe touched on it is the injury history, you know, how, how much is he going to play or how is he going to last? Is he going to play 16 games, 10 games, you know, five games, like what's it, you know, especially well, for that was, money, but I guess he was healthy like, last year, right? I think he was healthy all season. Yeah. Healthy I guess they, most of the they season. have the money there in Arizona, so they're not uh, feeling that, but then, they, but then that makes it seem like, well, can they resign Reddick now? Uh, are they letting Patrick Peterson go? They got other other holes to fill. You know, maybe now Reddick's pissed off at them, and he, and he wants to come to the Niners on a friendly deal. <laughs> well, the one thing that this actually, the one thing people are saying that this night this signing does for the Niners is it emphasizes re-signing Trent Williams in the offensive line, and I disagree with that because I don't think this signing pushes the offensive line any higher. I think it was already priority number one. Signing Trent Williams, as we've said for two months was priority number one for the Niners. You had to keep, if it's Jimmy, you have to keep Jimmy healthy. You have to stop letting the quarterbacks get hammered. So just because the Cardinals brought in J.J. Watt, I don't think is going to be have any influence on signing Trent Williams because he was already, or should have been, in my opinion, the top priority. Does it, does it make it a little bit more urgent that you sew, sew up that interior line or McGlinchey improves or do something Sure, but I still say Trent Williams is your number one priority. And as we close in on free agency in, in you know, about two weeks, it, it's going to come down to hopefully that first day signing Trent Williams and having a, a sigh of relief that you've kind of shorn up that left tackle spot. It just, it just further re- reemphasized the importance of re-signing Williams and making sure that they shore up that line. So, and also in other quarterback news – We've seen the the uh, Washington football team with a name to be determined, and we know how much Jeff uh, enjoys that. If you if you don't know what, what we're talking about, go back to our last episode and Jeff's final thoughts on the Washington football team's nickname. Uh, but Alex Smith is said to be released soon, so would that be a fit for the quarterback room in San Francisco? And the Niners inquired about Teddy Bridgewater. So again, quarterbacks are in the news concerning the Niners. Jerry, 
your thoughts on either of those guys and what it means. Well, I mean, with Alex, look, given, given everything he's overcome in his career, particularly that catastrophic leg injury, I wouldn't put anything past him, but man, I just wouldn't feel comfortable having him as my number one starter. If that's what you're implying that the Niners would even look at him in that capacity. I mean, if he's interested in signing for the minimum and being a third quarterback on the depth chart and being a mentor in the quarterback room, I can see that kind of a role for him. Um, as, but as far as uh, Teddy Bridgewater, um, I, maybe they're just checking the temperature to see whether the Panthers might cut Bridgewater because whether the Niners decide to bring him in as a starter or even as a backup, they're definitely not paying him what he's making now. So I, I think they just wanted to know what's up with Teddy since all signs point to Carolina going in a new direction at quarterback. Yeah, I think uh, for me with Alex Smith, I mean, you know, he was great while he was here. I, don't, I just don't see that him fitting in the quarterback room at, at this at this stage. Uh, Bridgewater was interesting, like like you mentioned, Jerry. I mean, kicking the tires, doing the uh, doing the homework on on everything that's available. Whether or not he is available, I don't know. They made the call, but um, is is that something that they can get for a cheaper deal to save money elsewhere? Um, I don't see it as bringing him in and then having him be the backup to Jimmy G he would have to then get rid of Jimmy G and see whatever cost savings are there or, or renegotiate and then probably still end up drafting a quarterback. Yeah, um, I think that's, a, that's a possibility, I guess. I, I don't think this has as much uh, juice as a, the headline may have indicated when they said Niners inquired about Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. I really think it's due diligence because they, aren't sold on Jimmy and I think they are in on the Deshaun Watson discussions as is Carolina. So they got to cover all their bases, including if Carolina makes the move for Deshaun, obviously they're going to need to get rid of Bridgewater. So if that's the case, do they then bring in Bridgewater as at a cheaper rate than what Jimmy's making because they're going all in or at least somewhat in on moving up for a quarterback. And then that makes Bridgewater if not your beginning of the year starter waiting for your rookie to, to develop, or if you're going to, if your rookie's ready to go and he's starting from day one, then Bridgewater is your mentor. Um, but I don't think this is any indication that they're going, because I, th- I think I should say bringing in Bridgewater to supplant Jimmy as the starter is a wash at best. You're not gaining much, if any, a, a few million dollars, I guess, because Bridgewater would be cheaper, but I don't think you're gaining anything from a football standpoint. Now, back to Alex Smith, I would say if he wants to come in on a cheaper deal, he's the kind of guy who could sit behind Jimmy, and if the if Jimmy gets hurt early in the season, I'd have more confidence in Alex going in there than somebody else. So, but but I don't think either one of them is the obviously the long term solution. No. Well, Alex, the reason why Alex I, could be good for the quarterback room. Teddy could be good for developing uh, your rookie, but neither one of them are helping this next year. Well, the reason why I mentioned Bridgewater as a potential backup, not to say that's going to happen because I don't see him coming here to be a backup and signing for, you know, like near minimum to do so. But I think it's the idea that the Niners, if they kept Jimmy, their ideal scenario would be to bring in a seasoned veteran who can actually compete with Jimmy and push Jimmy. I, I would agree with that then is the money. 
I guess, from, from, from what I'm understanding, if you bring in a Teddy to be his backup and push him, but then you're going to be pushing the, the, the cap, right? And right. Well, that's right. That's the thing. It's just like you need somebody to be his backup who's more competent and who can push him. Yet at the same time, Jimmy makes so much money. And then you're not, you know, you don't want to spend an additional however many, $5 million, $8 million, $10 million as a back for a backup, right? Right. But I think he's even probably higher than that, right? $15 million? I'm not, I'm not No, sure. but not at – well, that's the thing. I mean, right now he's making, I think, what, 17 Something 17. like that. Yeah. Right. So, but that's why I'm saying, like, I think with the Bridgewater thing, it's more checking in to see where they stood with their quarterback situation and maybe kind of feeling the waters of whether or not they might even cut them, right? Because if they cut them, then it's a whole different discussion. Like, maybe they bring him in somehow, whether it be in a backup or even in a starting capacity if they do choose to move on from Jimmy. Right. If you're, t- if you're Teddy, if you're not going to stay in Carolina and you do get to move on, Keep your eye on New Orleans. I mean, that's where he came from. He won games last year with Sean Payton knows him. And if they're not going to bring back, if they don't believe Jameis can be the starter or Taysom Hill can be the starter, Teddy could fit right back into New Orleans. So we'll have to see about that. But not if not if Russell Wilson gets there first. <laughs> not if Russell Wilson gets there first, which I mean, we didn't get a chance to really dive into it, but Russell Wilson. And I don't even know if you can say he's on the trade block because he hasn't asked for a trade. Seattle has given no indication that they're going to trade him. I really think it's Russ and the organization kind of butting heads in the offseason over legacy and say within the draft and say within, uh, you know, personnel and things like that, which I get. Russ seems to have raised his level of play to be one of the top what, three, four, five quarterbacks in the league that he should have the respect of the organization. What can we do to help you? What can we do to help you? My only response is, boy, he's got some nice receivers to throw to. It's not like they've neglected his weapons. Now, have they neglected the offensive line? Little bit, which is a little bit of a surprise because Pete Carroll is at at his core, a defensive run the ball type of coach. The thing that stood out to me was Russ had four teams, all kind of very random if you just look at them on the surface. Um, but if if Russ was to move to New Orleans or anywhere else, what a what a swing of power that would be for that division, that team in the conference. Yeah, but I, I just think that his, his, the list of teams on his short list are just really bizarre because if none of his desired teams are going to give him say in personnel. I mean, John Gruden, no way. Jerry Jones, no chance. Ryan Pace, that guy didn't even tell his head coach at the time he was going to draft Mitch Trubisky. And never mind that Sean Payton puts in special packages for Taysom Hill, even though he has a future Hall of Famer like Drew Brees as a starter. So, And, and then on top of that, the Saints only have three draft picks at this point for the upcoming draft. So I really don't see any of those teams being fits. And, and not to mention that, it would cost the Seahawks a $39 million cap hit if they were to trade Wilson. And Carroll is 70 years old. There's no way Seattle's going to want to rebuild right now. Yeah. And and that's the thing. When I first saw that story, I thought, no way. He's just trying to get, you know, a little bit of that, uh, you know, new in the news cycle, because there's no way they're going to trade him. I would, I wouldn't think. And then, and then with the saints, I forgot about uh, Breeze if he leaves and then Bridgewater possibly going there because they don't have a quarterback either. I totally forgot about the Saints. Like 
they're going to go with uh, uh, Winston? I, I don't think so, right? <laughs> so um, he could possibly go to the Saints. One scenario I thought, if he were to get traded, I mean, maybe it makes the most sense. I'm not sure where I heard it. Maybe it was uh, somewhere on the radio, but uh, to Dallas, you know, and then and then they can get rid of Dak and then he can get paid up in, up in Seattle instead. And then maybe that's a scenario they could figure out there. But yeah, I don't see, I don't really see the Saints or the Bears or the Raiders really. Well, I, I don't see it happening. I, I yeah. expect Wilson to take be taking snaps in Seattle, you know, come September. But what you said, Jerry, the, the fact that Carroll is 70 years old, he does not want to have to, he's not going to rebuild. He's not going to restart. No matter, the fact that he looks 40 years old is incredible and a testament to how well conditioned and, and what a rah-rah guy he is. But the fact of the matter is he doesn't want to rebuild. And Russ is going to be a hindrance to trade a $39 million cap hit to Seattle in, we've said it all the time, a year in which the salary cap goes down. Not to mention, it ha- it's not like Russ' play has declined. He's been the same Russell Wilson as always, just getting beat up a little bit more. So I, re- I want to just, again, say that's why I appreciate our podcast that we do dive below the headline because to see Russell Wilson's on the trade block or he's going to be traded or here are the four teams. Hey, everyone pump your brakes. Let's have a discussion. If it happens fine, but here are the parameters that it's going to take to offload a top three or four quarterback to a brand new team. And it really does seem like it's a PR tour right now. The fact that Russ has gone on so many talk shows and said, oh, you know, I really like this. I like this. I like this. And it's more than just I am not on a good team. It's more than Deshaun Watson, who has made it well known he wants nothing to do with the Texans. And it has nothing to do with play. It has to do with management. Russ isn't in that situation. So, but Jerry, I know you want to talk about Deshaun. So (laughs) step on up. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, I think, as I mentioned before, I think he's handling his situation professionally, right? Even if we're not hearing about it publicly, you know, he's doing things the right way, like meeting with David Cully, which we heard about a week after it had already taken place because Deshaun clearly prefers keeping things close to the vest. However, unfortunately, Deshaun might need to resort to antics that he'd view as unsavory, like pulling a James Harden or going scorched earth and turning it into a media circus a la Antonio Brown or Terrell Owens in order to put, you know, so much negative attention and pressure on the Texans that it'll finally force them to act. But by all accounts, Deshaun is such an upstanding guy. It'll be tough for him to do that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. I I made a down a note regarding Deshaun. It was more like, is Deshaun available? Because as the weeks go on, it's, it makes you just wonder, is he actually available? Because if he is, and now even that uh, that writer I heard, uh, McLean, he's on board with it too. He, he didn't think at first. He thought for sure, no way he's going to be traded. And then I heard now he's leaning more towards he has to be traded at this point. It's It's gone too far. Like Jerry's always uh, talked about, um, he, he wants, um, he wants out and he has spoken with, uh, the powers that be, it seems like at this point now, like it's, it's out there now, whether he did it or his agent did it, made it clear that he wants out and he needs to be traded. And so what McLean's take was, is it, it's a done deal. Now it's it ties, the ties are severed. You get the best you can for him, whether that's Miami jets, Niners or the best package you can for him. 
and move on. And so you avoid the holding out during the season. You avoid, you'd be able to sell tickets or, you know, suites, all, all those uh, aspects of, of it also. So. And I don't know if Deshaun, I, I think Deshaun can definitely keep it, you know, take the high road, if you will, without going scorched earth, because he can easily, he, he can go on, pick your top, Rich Eisen, you know, any NFL now, he can pick his interviewer and have a nice sit down interview and give his side of the story and say all the right things. I've, I've made my money. This is about loyalty. This is about being valued, whatever, whatever his talking points are. He can easily do that and completely put the pressure on, on the Texans to make the move. It's just, when does that happen? Because the sooner the better from a PR standpoint. The closer you get to the draft is probably when you would get the most desperate team to pull the trigger and maybe give you extra picks. After the draft, then you're talking about, well, why are we going to give this guy up for this season when we're not going to recoup anything probably draft pick wise till 2022? And then there's, do we even wait until the season starts and see what happens? So depending on when the Texans feel the most pressure in terms of artificial deadline is probably when they're going to pull the trigger. If at all, they, again, they, we've heard nothing from their, the Texans outside of they're digging their heels in and they're not going to trade him. So I, I don't, I don't know what their feeling is. If it is in the powers that be having that discussion. Okay, guys, we're going to all hold firm until this date. And then we're going to go. I mean, I, I don't just think it's a, a PR thing. I mean, I think it's definitely in their best interest from a football perspective to start moving on because how did the Texans build that locker room culture with this black cloud hanging over them? You know, which free agents are going to want to sign with them, right? And at what point do the Texans just get tired of looking terrible and realize the only way to move forward is to trade him? I mean, certainly Watson can, you know, like he could just, for, just sit there, right? And they can force him to sit there, I guess is what I'm saying. But to me, it just makes more sense just to move on now, right? To say, hey, okay, look, we need to start moving forward and start building this thing back up. Yeah, and getting, like Todd said, I mean, they we haven't heard anything from the Texans, but then someone who's now dug in with them, with McLean, finally coming around saying, this is the only thing that makes sense now. Like, you have to move on from this guy, get the best package you can. And by all accounts, I haven't dug into what the quarterback class looks like next year. But if you're the Texans, you have an opportunity to get the number two or the number three draft pick from New York or Miami, assuming those teams, and why wouldn't those teams be interested in getting Deshaun? And instantly getting your next franchise quarterback, or at least what you deem to be your franchise quarterback, and then getting a plethora of draft picks that will allow you to rebuild a line or get an offensive weapon or whatever it takes. But because there's two quarterback needy teams sitting there at two and three right now, who both could still offer you a quarterback in Darnold and Tua, if you decide you don't want to do that, do it now. Or or I should say, do it before the draft, do it now for our sake. The content would be incredible, but you got to do it before the draft. You you have a quarterback, but then they also have multiple firsts. So either this year and or next, right? So a lot of picks there. Yeah. uh, 
I, I got to imagine Casario, and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt just because he was in the New England system for so long. He's got to be a smart guy. He's got to be looking at this going, we can trade Deshaun, get a quarterback, three first-round draft picks, and we can turn this around quicker rather than later if we're smart about this. But the longer we drag this out and the longer we hang on to an asset that is toxic to us and has made it clear he wants to move on, we're not improving at all. So, yeah. Anyways, but that that as Deshaun turns, I guess, right? <laughs> so. But we're going to – well, let's get back to the Deshaun talk in just a minute. Um, right now, we're going to uh, – right now, we're going to take a moment and kind of branch out be, beyond just the NFL football, and we're going to talk about all kinds of sports. So we are going to welcome in Troy Clarity, the play-by-play broadcaster for the Pac-12 Network. Good friend. Uh, of mine who we grew we uh came up through the uh i don't know the broadcasting ranks in the i guess it'd be the equivalent of low a ball in producing overnight shows so um jerry jeff i want you to uh join me in welcoming troy to three sides sports talk hey troy thanks so much for being with us today Awesome to be with you, and uh, great to see all of you guys. Todd, you and I go back a long, long, long time, and that's probably a neat way, neat way of saying that that we're old, but great to see all of you guys. Great. Well, hey, thanks for joining us. Um, you know, we wanted to have you on. We, we we dive into all kinds of sports. We're mainly focused on the NFL, um, but as we've kind of gone through this journey over the past almost six months doing our own podcast, Media and sports media is obviously a passion of mine and, and an interesting avenue. So having someone like yourself on. So let's let's get the proverbial, how did you get here? Question <laughs> out of the way. Um, from from Oklahoma, you went to Stanford. I, I'll, I got a full full disclosure. Jerry is a Cal grad. So we're going to have okay. to. That's okay. I, I won't hold that against corners. Um, but <laughs> hey, I, hey, we got the X. I'm cool. I'm I know, I, there's nothing I can say right now. So exactly. <laughs> um, but take us through your journey because I'll, I'll be honest. You've hit some interesting spots, including you worked for ESPN, you yeah. worked the radio, you've done play-by-play, you've yeah. done arena football, which was always a favorite sport of mine. So um, take us down your path. Yeah, I, I miss arena football in the San Jose Sabercats. Boy, let's start uh, way back. Uh, you know, grew up an Air Force kid. Uh, origin, uh, I eventually ended up in uh, Oklahoma City, which is where Tinker Air Force Base is. We uh, started there when I was in fifth grade. Uh, graduated from high school there, Midwest City High School, same high school as A.J. Hinch, now the manager of the Detroit Tigers. Great to see him uh, back in the game. He and I were actually a year apart, and I don't know how deep the Midwest City High School to Stanford pipeline is, but that's two of us at least. So, so, we're, so, that, so that's pretty cool to, uh, to be a part of. Uh, is, and at Stanford was where you know, I, I kind of had a bit of an inkling that I wanted to go into sports journalism during high school. Uh, you know, I just kind of had some seeds planted along the way. The other thing 
was architecture school. That was the main thing that I really wanted to do. And in fact, my degrees in urban studies, which was kind of prerequisite to go to architecture school afterwards. But junior year at Stanford, I took 58 units and just got super burned out. But by that time, fortunately, I'd been doing a lot of things uh, with the Stanford student radio station, reporting on the Stanford football program. Kind of my, my introduction into, into uh, covering Stanford football was uh, Bill Walsh's weekly press conferences. My first year there was his second year in his uh, second term on the farm. And so by that time, I, I had a chance to do a lot of things with KZSU, the Stanford Student Station. Senior year uh, was the lead play-by-play uh, -play, uh, voice for Stanford football and Stanford baseball on that station. And I, you know, I certainly can't complain with my experience there. You know, Liberty Bowl, Sun Bowl, and a College World Series all by the time I graduated. So I uh, got very, very lucky there. And that summer, I, I knew, I, I'd heard that there was going to be a new all-sports station forming. And that it was going to be the home of the Raiders, the Oakland Raiders. I, it's still weird for me to say the Las Vegas Raiders. But based on what I knew of what Stanford's radio situation was at the time, I knew that that new radio station was going to eventually become the flagship for Stanford men's basketball and Stanford football. That new radio station, of course, was back then known as the Ticket 1050, as it was known for the first few years of its existence before it became uh, KMBR 1050. And sure enough, uh, became the home of Stanford men's basketball that very next year, that very fall. Stanford went to the final four that year, and they picked up Stanford football beginning the following year. So eight years overall there, uh, four years in Bristol, Connecticut at, uh, at, at some place called, called ESPN. Uh, you, you guys might have heard of it. I, I don't know. It's, it's, they, they dabble in sports media here and there. But uh, four years in Bristol, Connecticut, uh, four years in Pittsburgh, uh, CBS Radio, uh, at the time when they owned, when CBS owned radio stations, uh, they were going very big on sports radio. They were forming a new one in, in Pittsburgh. And uh, one of my bosses at ESPN uh, was chosen to be the program director at this radio station in Pittsburgh. So uh, he and I went to Pittsburgh together, uh, was there for four years, great experience, and got the chance to come back here. Uh, to the Bay Area, uh, hosted A's, A's uh, pre and post for a bit and uh, hosted uh, Mountain Talk Show for a bit. But uh, since then, uh, the main focus has been Pac-12 Network, doing play-by-play play -play for them and other outlets as well. And uh, circuitous route, <laughs> circuitous road. Look, it's, it's not a linear road in, in sports media, right? Uh, unless, you know, it tends to be easier if you have, like, you know, relatives in the business, you know, if you played the game. I, I had none of those. So it's a bit more of this kind of road, but learned a lot along the way. And hey, I'm still here. I'm still in it. That, 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 that's got to count for something. Not, not everyone has the Greg Papa route of graduate Syracuse and go instantly to the NBA, you know? So yeah, you're right. So um, I'll let Jerry and Jeff jump in in just a sec, but I want to, all those things, your favorite broadcast that you've done. Oh, gosh. Uh, hard to narrow down one specific one. Uh, a, a few that, that, that do come to mind uh, immediate, uh, immediately for me. Um, booking Roger Goodell uh, for the, the show that I produced for ESPN Radio. It was actually John Clayton's radio show. Uh, back when uh, back when the professor uh, was with ESPN, and he's one of the one of my all time favorite people on the planet. And getting Raj, 
you know, I had to kind of laugh a few years later when, when Roger Goodell, you know, was like, well, I'm, you know, I talk to the media all the time. I'm not hard to reach. And I'm like, well, look, Roger, it wasn't like I just picked up the phone and say, Hey, look, dude, what are you doing on Thursday? All right. That took weeks and weeks and months uh, to finally, uh, to finally get done. But, but that was, that was pretty cool from the producer side to be able to have that, um, have, have that notched under my belt. Uh, some of the more memorable ones in Pittsburgh being on the air when Joe Paterno passed away and just, you know, backstory, it was, it was a Sunday show and I had taped a couple of interviews, um, you know, or late, late in the week on Friday, you know, I had a buddy that, that was, uh, uh, the uh, New England Patriots uh, pre and post game show host. So I taped with him because it was AFC, I think it was Championship Sunday weekend. So I taped an interview with him and taped an interview with uh, Henry Hynoski, the former pit fullback who was playing with the New York Giants. Giants were, were they in that year? Uh, yeah, they, they would have been in the, in the NFC Championship uh, that, that weekend. So taped with him. I was like, okay, great. I got those two interviews in the bag. We air those after that, knowing what Joe Paterno's situation was, monitoring it the night before. I was like, look, just air those two interviews. After that, we'll, we'll see what happens. So go through the opening segment, monologue, set up the show, blah, 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 blah. Commercial break. Sports update heading into the second segment, which was going to be with, with, with Henry Hynoski. Right before the sports update begins, we get the word. Joe Paterno had passed. And on one hand, I was like, oh, man, I've had two really good interviews taped. This, is, this was going to be great. He couldn't wait 40 more minutes. But after that initial selfish kind of shock kind of wears off, it's like, okay, hey, we got a job to do. Let's throw the script out the window and, and just go for it and, and do what we can do to, A, let people know what's happening. B, put things in the proper context and, and, and C, you know, just recognize the gravity of the situation. Joe Paterno, national legend, but in Pennsylvania, you know, as, as e even with everything that happened and, and everything that led up uh, to his, uh, to his, uh, his departure from Penn state, still royalty uh, in, in the Keystone state. So handling that with the gravity that we did, you know, we had a few guests on, you know, Barry Alvarez, who uh, had, had, had longtime ties with Joe Paterno and just being on the air for, for big moments like that uh, during the sports talk days uh, certainly is, is, is memorable as, uh, as, as comes to mind immediately for me. Jerry. Wow, man, I don't know how to top that. That that's <laughs> that's pretty huge. <laughs> um, I guess for me, I'm just, I was always, I'm just always curious. Like in, terms of calling play-by-play -play, is spring football the hardest gig since you may not be totally familiar with all the players yet or is calling a sport that perhaps isn't as mainstream like lacrosse or field hockey more challenging well the thing for spring football is that it could probably it, it likely depends on the format of the game itself I've been lucky. The, the couple of spring football games that I handled for the Pac-12 network, there were actual games. You know, Stanford, you know, they don't do a full-on, you know, 100% scrimmage, go, 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 but it's pretty close. Uh, Washington State, that was, that's as close to a real-life actual game, at least the ones that they ran under Mike Leach anyway. Those are as close to actual real-life games as you're going to find. So from that standpoint, it's pretty easy because you have an actual real-life game 
game in air quotes to to actually call and to weave in context, weave in players, weave in information and things like that. Whereas other schools up and down the Pac-12, some don't scrimmage at all. It's you're just looking at them stretching. Okay, what do you do with that? <laughs> in, in that sense, maybe it's a little bit more difficult. But you know, fo- football has the most information surrounding it. You know the most about the players. Uh, you know the most about the coaches because let's face it, the 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 appetite is there, and 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 it's the, it's the number one you know spectator sport of the country. So you're going to have all the information to match. There are other sports that are a bit more difficult to call because you might not exactly have that same access to information. But that's where talking to coaches comes in and coaches and developing relationships with coaches and and trying to at least, especially for sports that you're not exactly familiar with. You know, you mentioned lacrosse. I get an email from the Pac-12 network one day and they're all, hey, Troy, what are you doing next weekend? What do you know about (laughs) lacrosse? And I'm like, "Uh, (laughs) I'm free for now and not as much as I will know in 10 days. So, you know, especially for sports that that you might not necessarily be quite as familiar with. Those coaches are key. They can give you the heads up on things to look out for, uh, tactical things, strategy things, personnel things as well. So even though you know, you know lacrosse players and, and, and players in other sports might be a bit more difficult to just Google and then boom, you've got 17 stories on them and you've got all sorts of stuff and you're just sitting there you know, trying to figure out what to put in and what to keep out. You know, that's where having the relationship with coaches um, re- really, uh, re- really is a big time uh, bonus and factor because you know, the coaches look at this as a recruiting tool for them, right? They're getting more exposure than they normally would, especially with games, you know, especially in the games that they have uh, on, on the Pac-12 network. So more often than not, they're going to be more than willing to help you get the information that you need to put on as good of a show so they can focus their, so they can put out the best uh, product that they possibly can and be able to point to their recruits and say, Hey, look, we're on TV. Come check us out. So, you know, information varies from sport to sport. You know, I do little league world series events for, for ESPN. Obviously there's, you know, information is a little difficult to come by there too. Uh, that's why we get questionnaires from the players and from the coaches as well. That helps, but sometimes you need a little bit more. Uh, it, it's good to have, it's, uh, there, there, there's different, you know, levels of information that you get for every sport that there's more for some than for others, but you know, it, it, it doesn't necessarily make, make it more difficult to call one sport over another, just because there's less information out there for one than another. Well, uh, uh, kind of piggybacking on, on that part, I was going to ask kind of a two-parter, um, what's your favorite sport to call? And then in addition to that, what are the differences you see in calling the different sports? Because, I mean, that's a huge difference. There, obviously, football to, uh, you know, baseball, tennis, whatever you're, whatever you're calling. So maybe yeah. talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll start with your second one first. Uh, the main differences between calling different sports, more often than not, is the pace basketball so much quicker than football and football a lot quicker than baseball softball might even be closer to basketball than you might think from a pace standpoint that's as fast paced a a sport um, as as there is out there so that kind of changes a little bit of your preparation coming in because you might not necessarily focus on stories as much in basketball, just simply because you don't have the time necessarily. I mean, sure, it's good to you know know if a guy 
you know, had a serious car accident when he was a senior in high school and was was bedridden for a month, but fought back, got a big scholarship, and now he's doing great. Okay, it's great to do those things, and you have to still be able to find a way, hopefully, you know, to shoehorn and to put and to put those things in in the right context. But it's the pacing that changes the most from sport to sport. And as all these sports ramp up and start to converge on each other, you know, I'll admit right now, I'm still trying to find my sea legs a little bit and get back in, in the in the proper pacing uh, between different sports. You know, there, there's, you know, there, you got a lot more room to stretch out and tell a story in baseball and to a lesser extent soccer uh, than you do in football and perhaps, and, and perhaps a little bit, and certainly in, in, in basketball um, as well. Favorite sport to call? Man, there, there's nothing like going to a football game and putting on a headset and calling a game. Man, there, there's, there's nothing like it. Um, indoor, you know, my, my days with the Arena League, um, you know, college, you know, NFL, you know, it, there, there's just, there's just nothing, absolutely nothing like it. Especially when, you know, you walk in the, you walk in the stadium, and especially in college, particularly, I think this has gone away a bit from the NFL over the, over the years, unfortunately, except for some, some key places and some key markets. But, you know, you walk into a college game, man. You feel the energy, you feel the electricity, you feel the pomp, you feel the circumstance, you, f- you feel the pageantry, you know, you hear the drum line, you know, as you're walking around campus and you start getting pumped up a little bit. You're like, yeah, man, let's, let's kick this thing off. Let's go. And you're not even on your own campus. So, you know, you, you take that into it. And plus the passion that people have for football, both, both on the pro um, and the college level. And, and plus back in the day, man, I was just such a huge NFL films nerd. Oh my God, I devoured everything NFL films. Before the NFL Network was a thing, anytime NFL Films Presents came on ESPN, anytime the old Super Bowl highlight films with John Facenda came on, you know, I was there, parked in front of the TV, soaking it all in. And seeing those, those slow motion images of you know, Jack Lambert sifting and rooting through the offensive line and finding the ball carrier and whacking Mark Van Egan for no gain and John Facenda narrating it all, you know, that 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 kind of that kind of plants a seed, or at least it did in my brain anyway. And that's part of where my love of football came from and where it's kind of kind of gone ever since. And you know, there's nothing like it. I, I look, I love all the sports that I call, love all of them. I enjoy all of them. Uh, there are some great stories out there and it's cool to be able to kind of branch out a little bit and, and to be versatile. There's nothing like football, man. Nothing like it. Right. So one of the, one of the things that we, we like to do on the, on the podcast, we, you know, we just try and dive a little bit deeper than your, your headlines. Right. So take us on a trip <laughs> to the Palouse, you know, type of thing. What does a broadcaster do I mean, besides the studying and you're making your notes and you got your lineups, like you fly in, what's your, where are you going? Where are you eating <laughs> in at, when you hit Washington state? What's the campus life like when you're walking around on the morning of a game day? And you know, how does that, how does that get your energy up to call that game? Yeah. And look, the Palouse gets a bad rap and, and before originally, you know, the first couple of times I was there was, it was back when I was in college and you're just in and out quick, right? You know, football, it was snowing. 
You know, I haven't seen snow in years. I joke around that, you know, oh, Pullman's pretty in a, in, in, in a, in a desolate, rocky foreign Russia kind of way. You know, just, just kind of joking around and, and, and things like that. But, you know, since latching off the Pac-12 network and being able to go up to Pullman and spend a bit more time there and to be able to hang out on campus there instead of just, you know, driving in and, you know, <laughs> for the game and then and bolting, out, bolting out and being on a plane right after the game or after the show, Pullman's a really neat place. There's an energy there that is different than pretty much any other campus, I think. And part of it is because you have to make an effort to get there, right? You know, you fly into Spokane, you know, you make an hour and a half drive, you know, down to Pullman, which, depending upon the weather, can be quite pleasant or can be white knuckling your way through things. And you, if, if I'm white knuckling things, you know, then, then, you know, things are kind of, uh, things are kind of hairier than, than normal. But once you get to Pullman, once you're actually there, it is probably as close to a college town as there is in the Pac-12. Well, I mean, Pac-12 is great college cities, right? I mean, the Bay Area, um, Berkeley's a far better college town than Palo Alto. I'll certainly admit that. You know, Seattle, L.A., Phoenix, Tucson, you know, Boulder's right down the street from Denver. But, you know, very few college towns where the town is the college. Corvallis is that. Pullman is that. Eugene comes close. But those two, I, I, I think, looked apart as, as far as Pac-12 college towns better than any of the others. But once you actually get to Pullman, it's pretty neat. Neat campus cool folks they have an on-campus creamery there so you go there you get a tin of big tin of cougar gold cheese although i i, I really want to figure out how to keep those things refrigerated so i can keep them on the plane and get them on the way back and ship back to the bay area but you get a tin of cougar gold cheese they have a fantastic espresso seasoning rub put it on pork chops put it on steak put it on chicken it's off the hook pullman is a really neat place to be and plus if you want any street credibility at all at all as a pac-12 fan you say hey i've been to pullman i have seen my team play in pullman because that trip isn't for the faint of heart it takes all day to get there it takes all day to leave but once you're there it's a neat place and up at washington state i've, I've done a lot of soccer games up there and really great, really great program. Uh, they, they were in the Final Four, uh, surprise entry into the Final Four, had North Carolina. Ooh, they gave them all they had in that, uh, in that semifinal game a couple of years ago. I was, really, I was really pulling for them. That would have been neat if they'd been able, been able to pull that off. But they treat us like kings up there. They are so glad to see us. So Pullman, even though we stay in Spokane at a really neat, fantastic hotel, shout out to the Davenport, miss you guys right downtown Spokane, neat little places to eat all around there. You make the drive to Pullman, you hang out and, and you do the game and then you, and then you fly out. If you're lucky to get a flight out of Pullman, you know, great, but uh, more than not, you're heading in and out of Spokane, but you know, they're, they're just little, and it's part of what makes being in the PAC 12 so neat because not the, the experience isn't the exact same in every single city, big 12, I mean, you've been to Manhattan, you've been to Stillwater, you've been to Ames. They're pretty much all the same, right? I mean, you know, SEC, more or less, maybe some small differences, but nothing big. 
Seattle is way different than Salt Lake City, <laughs> than, 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 than Corvallis, than Boulder, than Tucson. They're all so uniquely different. And, and that's, that, that's part of what makes being in the Pac-12 and being associated uh, with the Pac-12 so cool is that you could, ha- you could do a lot of cool things in one spot and then do a lot of cool, complete, completely different things in another spot. All right, Troy, I think you've sold us. Once we all get vaccinated, we're doing a road trip. Road trip to Pullman. Do it. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) And bring me back some espresso rub. You got it. (laughs) So since you said how much you love the NFL, and since you're part of the Stanford family, maybe you can help shed some light for us Niner fans on Solomon Thomas and why you might think he hasn't reached perhaps the potential that some of us have envisioned when the Niners drafted him number three overall. Yeah, look, I mean, people forget this. No matter where you're drafted, a lot of things still have to go right for you to be able to live up to the potential that 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 you supposedly have. And look, I mean, I you and I saw the probably the same things when Solomon was at the end of his uh of his uh, of his Stanford career. He made a lot of money in that Sun Bowl sacking Mitchell Trubisky time and time and time and time again. He made a lot of dough that day. Congratulations to him on that. And that was, you know, I've seen some some fantastic defensive line play over the years. Dama Kung Su when he was with Nebraska. I saw Aaron Donald at Pitt. I saw him personally win at least three games at Pitt by himself. Solomon Thomas and some of the performances that he put up, especially in that stumble, uh, were right up there. So, you know, neat to see him get drafted that highly, but still there are just so many things that have to fall into place. Um, scheme, health, and not just physical health, but mental health as well. Obviously, Solomon, that's a, that's a cause that's, that, that's very near uh, and dear to his heart with some things that he's been dealing with um, in his family. And, you know, Right place, right time. So, look, the, the, the streets, unfortunately, are littered with, with guys who got drafted high and maybe didn't quite live up to their entire potential or at least maybe live up to what their, their, their draft billing um, might be. But you know, just like, you know, there are so many things that have to go right in order for a team to go to the Super Bowl. And I have a suspicion that 49er fans relearned that lesson the hard way this past season all the things that even if they aren't in your control still have to go just so so your team can make the super bowl sort of similar things i think might potentially be at work with solomon thomas there are just so many things that have to that have to fall into play that that haven't quite gone his way it seems or the niners could have signed tom brady last offseason but we'll go <laughs> of right course now. of course that would have <laughs> solved everything <laughs> Very good. Um, I don't know how much uh, time we have for, for more questions. Um, one thing I, uh, uh, one of my favorite play-by-play guys uh, is Gus Johnson. I know if, if he's calling a game, I'm, I'm interested in that game because he does such <laughs> a good job. Um, along those lines, who are like maybe some mentors or guys in that field that uh, maybe either have helped you? Maybe I wouldn't know their names, but um, that you look to for uh for, for guidance, for, for doing yeah. play-by-play stuff. Yeah, a few come to mind right off the top of the bat. Uh, as far as mentors are concerned, Ted Robinson, just an absolute professional at, at anything and everything that he does. He's been a big, big champion for, for me 
uh, throughout the years. We've gone back 20 plus years or so. And, and I value uh, a lot of his guidance a, a, along the way for my career. And plus, he's a pretty damn good play-by-play announcer as well. I remember years ago flipping through channels and I came across, this is at my buddy's house. He had the Empire Sports Channel back when that was a thing. Uh, Western New York, uh, mostly. I think I think uh, MSG owned them. Uh, he had that channel for some reason. I was flipping there, and they were doing racquetball, and Ted was calling that, and I was like, what? Yo, is that Ted? Are you serious? But yeah. Ted, super professional, super versatile, and, and, and both of those things um, uh, make, make him uh, a, tr- a, truly, a truly great human being in, in, in an industry where there can at times be a shortage of great human beings. So, so big fan of, of, of Ted Robinson's, uh, who's just as professional as professional can be. Uh, uh, Greg Papa, uh, working with him, producing his talk show back on the Ticket 1050 back in the day, that was as fun as fun could be. He and I thought a lot alike. And look, you know, uh, he has become perhaps the elite NFL local play-by-play voice in the country. He, he's, he certainly has to be in that conversation. So it's been really neat to see him and, and to watch his uh, career uh, take off uh, from the NFL play-by-play uh, standpoint um, of things. Uh, a couple other folks. Uh, I, I had a chance to intern in college um, in Denver back during the throes of my Bronco mania dumb boy, that was, I had a problem <laughs> back in those days, but I interned for uh, KOA, which is uh, the, the, the main uh, news talk station in Denver. And they've been the Broncos uh, flagship station, I believe since 1970, if not, maybe even earlier than that. And the sports director at the time was Larry Zimmer. He was the play-by-play voice of the Denver Broncos and Colorado football at the time. He called the, the, the Hail Mary from Cordell Stewart to, to Michael Westbrook. I actually thought, and different mediums to be sure, but I, I love his call even a little bit more um, than Keith Jackson's. But, but Larry Zimmer was the guy, the first guy to actually kind of take me aside and say, hey, look, you, you might actually be all right at this thing. And here are some things that you might need to keep in mind, not just how to do this job, but how to cope with some of the other things that you have to deal with, with this job, because it's not easy. You know, if you're a high level play-by-play announcer, you're on the road a lot, even in this day and age where we're home a lot more and doing a lot more from home and play-by-play announcers are calling games from, from their, from their living rooms and home offices and things like that. You're still on the road a lot. You don't have nights, weekends, and holidays off. Friends need to understand that family need to understand that. Larry Zimmer was the first guy to take me aside and to say, hey, you know, these are other things that you need to keep in mind if you really want to do and pursue this. And uh, I know he hasn't been in great health over the past uh, couple of years. So I, I was thinking about him a lot not too long ago, and I'm hoping that, uh, that he's doing all right, uh, especially um, with the health situation nationally being what it is. Um, and I like Gus. I, 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 I really do. Uh, you know, he's he's excitable and, and he, he has his own style. And I like play-by-play guys who are distinct guys I can tune into and say oh that's Gus Johnson oh um you know they're you know that that that's this guy and not because I, not just because I know them but because they they present things in a very distinct and unique style which unfortunately I think is kind of lacking uh play-by-play guys kind of tend to blend in <laughs> all sound alike after a while but very rarely uh, do you hear guys or, uh, that, that as soon as you hear their voice, oh, okay, all right, 
I, I, I know, I know what we're in for. So, you know, I'm, you know, there, there, there are some, you know, others along the way, Bill Hillgrove from the, from the Pittsburgh Steelers and the University of Pittsburgh football, super professional, Mark Kestershire at ESPN radio, really good, cool dude, super professional as well. Uh, fortunately for me, there have been more than a few folks that, that, that I've been able to look at and say, okay, this is how it's done. And these are the things that they can do that I can try to apply to my own style and, 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 and see, see how it goes from there. We are joined by Troy Clarity, play-by-play voice for Pac-12 Network. Um, and we're going to go one more round of questions, Troy, if you're, if you're good with that. Certainly. Um, I, I got nowhere to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with kind of a, a technical question for, the, for your play-by-play uh, before we get to uh, Jerry and Jeff's last question. But how do you, how do you balance technically calling a game Greg Pop is a great example. He will call the nine technique and the three, four, you know, situation. How do you balance technically for the hardcore fan opposed to we gave the, we threw the white round object at a guy and he hit the, for your casual <laughs> fan who might be t- tuning in, who has no desire to get, you know, in depth. Like there's gotta be some kind of balance for the, for a play-by-play announcer. Well, the way I look at it, a, a couple things. One, uh, the Pac-12 network and college audience is a little bit different. Yes, you have your hardcores, but there are a lot of parents watching, right? So there, for me anyway, stories are going to be more paramount. Where did this kid come from? What sort of things did this kid have to undergo to get to this point? You know, what sort of neat things can I tell about them? Technical stuff, analysis, I'm more often than not going to leave that to the analyst if I have one. If I'm solo, then yeah, then it's my job to, to be a bit more cognizant, especially to, to recognize situations and things like that, and, and, and to pick and choose those moments to, to, to be as technical as I possibly can. And I can be more technical in some sports than I can with others. But stories are more important to me as a play-by-play guy. Now, um, is it important to know the strategy of the game? You bet. And, you know, it, if, if there's one thing that that one piece of advice that, that I would tell folks that, you know, if they're, oh, my gosh, I'm, I've just been assigned volleyball. I've never done volleyball before. What do I do? Well, number one, know how the game ends. Know how the winners decided. Know what different ways that a winner can be decided because in some sports, uh, there, there are multiple ways that you could possibly uh, have an ending. Softball, you've got the run rule, right? Somebody's up by more than eight runs after five innings, game's over. You, you have to know that, right? That, that's another, that's an alternate way for, you know, for, for, for a game to end instead of just going seven innings in softball or nine, in, in, nine innings in baseball. So, you know, you have to know those things. But if I have an analyst to bounce things off of, I'm going to let them handle the heavy lifting of saying, okay, this is why this happened. Because that's why they're there. I'm just playing traffic cop. I'm just narrating pictures for the most part, you know, taking us to break, setting up my analysts so they can be telling us what they need to be telling us and let them do the heavy lifting on the TV side. Radio's a bit different. Radio's a bit more of a play-by-play dominant uh, medium. But on the TV side, the analysts, is the one that's more often than not going to be handling the technical stuff. I'll ask questions, you know, along the way, 
but I'll, I'll, I'm, 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 I'm more concerned with scores, <laughs> story, trends, and context. Big picture. What does this game mean to both of these teams playing in this game? So I'm a bit more, I'm a bit more attached uh, with, with those things from a play-by-play standpoint, at least in my approach, anyway. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So my last question, it'll be more of a choose your own adventure. Do you want to answer a question about the Denver Broncos or about ESPN? ESPN. (laughs) All right. So you always hear that ESPN is such a grind, especially for those trying to break into the business. So just wondering if you can share maybe like the craziest story that you have during your time with ESPN. Oh boy. Uh, Well, ESPN is a great place to work. I mean, I've been gone from there, gosh, over 11 years now, which, which <laughs> makes me shudder to think in some respects. And, and I, I imagine that a lot of this still applies, but ESPN is a great, great place to work, especially in, in this business, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's the top. Um, it's easier to work there if, A, you're working on a marquee product, which wasn't necessarily the case for me on ESPN Radio, and if you have a built-in support staff of sort, you know, if you, if you have family, if you have friends, you know, with an easy driving distance, because Bristol, Connecticut, ain't a whole lot happening there. <laughs> if you don't have that, uh, have that uh, support staff, uh, that support system uh, around you, it can get a little bit tough. But that being said, and I looked at it like going to grad school, right? You know, figuring out exactly how things are crafted and how things are done at the highest level. And boy, did I learn in a big time way. And it, it's, it's cool. Imagine working with, with John Clayton and uh, Mel Kuyper producing his shows. You want to get Mel Kuyper in a good mood fast? Ask him about two things pumpkin pie, and the 1975 Baltimore Colts. He will talk your ear off about Burt Jones, and I am here for all of those stories. Mel is an absolutely incredible and awesome dude. And, and really getting to know a little bit, at, at the very least, you know, some of the faces that you've seen on ESPN for years. So, so, so all, all that part, all that experience is, is, is really pretty cool. Maybe one of the more intriguing things and, and the second thing just popped up. So I'll, I'll, start, I'll start with the, the first thing that popped in my head. It was one of my very last days. There was my last week there. And Chris Mortensen was sitting at, at a desk across from me. I was preparing. I'm not sure if Mort was there. Uh, if that had been a Friday, then, then I would have been working on, on his show, producing his show that night. But I remember Mort getting a phone call and going, oh, oh, okay. All right, cool. No problem. And he started in on a couple things, made a couple other quick phone calls. And he basically broke the Pete Carroll's going to the Seahawks story right in front of me, like four feet in front of me. That was cool to see. Working John Clayton's uh, radio shows, especially on free eight, the first Saturday in free agency. And just hearing every time we went to break, okay, hello? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What do you got? Really? That many years? Okay. All right. Okay. Great. Cool. No problem. And then he, you know, he'd, he'd break uh, who, uh, the next free agent signing, and we actually got uh, we actually got tipped off one time. Um, someone texted in, "Hey, my buddy works for the Buffalo Bills, and he says Terrell Owens is in the building." And I, you know, sent that along to, to John Clayton, who was working out of his house in, in Seattle. Um, and Clayton's like, "Really? Okay, let me make a couple phone calls." And he did. 
And he confirmed it. Terrell Owens was in the building. And by the end of the show, <laughs> by the end of the third hour of that show, T.O. had put pen to pad. And we broke Terrell Owens signing with the Buffalo Bills on our very show. So, you know, neat little moments like that being a part um, of that um, at, at ESPN and, and, and helping to break those stories and kind of being in on, on, on the initial moments, you know, knowing some things you know, before anybody else does really, really, really cool experiences. And, uh, and, and a lot of things that, that, uh, that I'll, I'll, I'll think back and look very fondly on. Very good. Um, I guess one, one last question. Um, did, if I understand correctly, you worked uh, a little bit at KMBR. Yep. Yep. And, uh, back, back in the day. With Todd. <laughs> Yes, indeed. <laughs> any, any good stories there? Oh, <laughs> boy. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, I, I think one of the one of the big ones that that comes to mind immediately for me was the fact that we worked on on a lot of uh, Stanford men's basketball um, games, uh, game broadcasts together. Um, you know, he, he, he was on the board, you know, work, working, you know, actually making sure that, that, the, that the games actually stayed on the air and I'd be, you know, cutting the highlights and, you know, writing, writing the pregame show and preparing that and, uh, and, and getting that going. And we had, we had a lot of fun, but the beauty of that, that time period and the beauty of being that age during that time period is that we did things that we couldn't even think of doing in this day and age and things that we would probably get fired for in this day and age. And I'm surprised we didn't get fired for doing them then. Uh, there was one in particular. It was a uh, Stanford basketball at, uh, at Washington state, that pregame show, Rob Brooks was hosting it. And, you know, I, I forget exactly how we did this or at least how we introduced it. But every time we talked about Washington state, and I know I, I, I said, I've said flowering things about Washington state throughout <laughs> the course of this conversation. And I 100% mean them. I was in a different, completely different frame of mind back in these days. Okay. So we just put that disclaimer out there, Pullman. I love you. Forgive me for this, but for, uh, somehow we will start talking about Washington state and we will put like some, some really hokey, a hillbilly music or something like that underneath them, you know, twangy banjo, banjo guitar and, and, and all this kind of like a polka kind of thing. And, and Rob could not really, it was hard for him to read, you know, his script because he was laughing so much because we were totally taking an unprofessional tack uh, to this whole thing. Uh, so, so Todd pulled that off brilliantly. It was, it was great. And we had, we had a lot of fun back in those days and, and really, you know, the, 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 the ticket 1050, I really miss those days because of a lot of those reasons, you know, because because we sounded different at that time and did a lot of things now that, that did a lot of things back then that there was no way in the world we could get away with now. But we sure as heck had a lot of fun doing it. And it was it was those, those are really cool days, really cool days. And, and you talked about how ESPN was kind of a grad school. And, that, and that's kind of how I was with the ticket. I mean, we. I met, I met you and Tony Ryan and, you know, Darren Chan and all the, all those guys who kind of, you know, came up together, if you will, through, through KMBR and, and 1050. Um, and you're right. It was, it was a different time. And for 21, 22 year olds, like we were, we, we didn't have a very big view of, of life. So we, you know, we had our own corner of the world to, to yeah. tackle, which was great. 
Yeah. Um, but, but before before we let you go, I, we're gonna we're gonna go a little lightning round with you. So okay. just quick answers right here. All right. <laughs> you could never watch again Rocky Four or Bronco Super Bowl highlights. Uh oh, I have to choose between I have to choose I have to choose between them if I if I can never watch one of them. You're never gonna watch one of them. Which one will you never can you never watch? You know what? I, I loved being a Bronco fan back in the day. You know, the Josh McDaniels era cured me of my Bronco mania, and I've melted out a lot since then. There's just something about Rocky Four, man. Every time, you know, every once in a while that, that thing will pop up on the channel listings and I'll go, ooh, and the wife will go, oh. Because she knows what's coming next. And yeah. if you hit it during the Rocky Four and Russia training scenes, you know what? That that makes my entire afternoon. So, look, the Broncos winning the Super Bowl was one of the greatest days I've and nights and mornings I've ever had. I, I lived it, right? I, I, I can go without watching those highlights. Rocky Four, I'll, I'll keep that. All right. What feels better, a Stanford win or a USC loss? In, in football, are we talking? Sure. Well, hopefully they both come at the same time if I'm putting on my Stanford hat. Look, a Stanford win. A Stanford win. Wins are too precious you know, in, in college football in, in this day and age. And I'll certainly take a Stanford win. And as long as they keep winning, you know, they'll, they'll be in good positions. Free for life. Chick-fil-A or North Beach pizza? North Beach, North Beach pizza. <laughs> now, now, the difficulty here is that you know, they're only available here in the Bay Area, right? And I, I, I have driven across a bridge specifically for North Beach Pizza. Not the Bay Bridge. I'm not that crazy. But that, that's, that's a pretty darn good slice of pie. Uh, so even though there are more Chick-fil-A's available nationwide, North Beach Pizza, I'll, I'll take that for free anytime. And finally, searching through your Twitter account, you never know what you're going to find. But I found, Uh-oh. quote, Fat burger over in and out. Yes. Defend, defend yourself. Do, I, I don't have to. Have you had them both? Yes. <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> Look, in and outs perfectly fine. in and outs very good. Fat burger is just a cut above. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Fries are better. Um, there, there's just a, a wider choice of offerings. It's No, it, it's a cut above. It's a cut All above. right. Well. Hey, we've taken up a lot of your time, and we really appreciate you joining us, Troy. Um, I'm just glad of all the things in my Twitter account that you dug up. That was the one. <laughs> <laughs> you had me going there for a second. Like, uh oh, let me, let me go back it, through. <laughs> tried to be gentle. Tried to make it easy on you. So, hey, we, again, really want to thank you for joining us. Um, the insights into being a play-by-play announcer, um, your memories of the nifty 1050, along with. <laughs> ESPN and, and all those types of things. I mean, we could have, we could have gone on and on and, and hopefully we'll have you back on another show, you know, later on um, down the line. So we can, you know, once you get back out on the road and we can hear some of the stories about what it's like. So um, just really appreciate you uh, follow Troy clarity at Troy clarity on Twitter. Um, but really thanks a lot, Troy. We appreciate it. Uh, maybe I have gone on, but uh, I certainly appreciate the time fellas. Appreciate it. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy and stay sane. Yep. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yep. Continue success at the PAC 12 network. Thank you. Thanks again to Troy Clarity for joining us. Um, that's big time for us. You know, we get a nice play by play announcer to come in, um, not only tell some stories, kind of 
broaden our horizon. I saw Jerry's eyes roll a little bit when he was talking about the beauty of Washington State, you know, but he might have sold you on a road trip up there. Um, that was fun. I, I enjoyed that. So uh, hopefully we can get Troy on uh, down the line and when maybe when we get some more, maybe when you brought up spring football, maybe when some Pac-12 football starts going on, we can talk draft choices and prospects with them. So take a uh, roadie to Pullman and put on some Rocky Four in the RV. Absolutely. And stop at Fatburger on the way out. Apparently. So um, let's let's jump right into the mailbag because we got some more mailbag questions this week. Um, and again, appreciate everyone throwing out mailbag uh, questions. You can do that when you write a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcast. You can text us or tweet us at Three Sides Sports with your questions. Uh, we'll put them together and answer them here on the show. So first question comes from Matt in Chicago. What would it take for Jimmy to go back to Chicago? What would the Bears need to give up? Would Jimmy waive his no trade to go back to Chi-Town? Well, Matt, I think everything's on the table right now in Chicago. Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy, they're in the mode of saving their jobs. And like every quarterback needy team, they're definitely trying to get in on the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. But if they don't land Deshaun, I guess anything's possible um, outside of resigning Trubisky, that is. Um, Would Jimmy Wade has no trade to go to Chicago? I can see it happening. However, as I've said previously, I think if the Niners part with Jimmy, I feel like he'd be heading back to New England. Yeah, um, I think Chicago, to to me, was one of the teams that I would see him possibly going to, being that he's from there. I mean, I I think Chicago and New England are right there at the top of my list uh, to ship him out to. And and I'm thinking, you know, if we can get a second, would that make it happen? I think he'd waive his no trade trade clause. I mean, maybe maybe we can't get a first. I don't even know about a second. (laughs) That's That's where it gets tough. But I'll take a second, sure. Especially if we can, you know, pull off some other kind of deals for ourselves. I would agree with Jerry that I would tend to think that the odds would be Jimmy going back to New England if he's not taking snaps for the Niners. But Chicago is one of those places that you kind of you, you connect the dots and it's he's from the Midwest. He's that's his hometown team, more or less. Um, he's big into family. He, he brought all his brothers out here when he moved out to San Francisco. And that's kind of his circle. So. Obviously, family is important to him. Going back to the Midwest, I think he might waive that no trade clause to go back to Chicago. So, what would we? What would it take? I mean, if the Niners are moving on, that means they got a, a successor in mind. So, I would imagine they would take probably a third. I would hope for a second, but if that's the situation, they're probably got another quarterback and they're they're ready to move on. So, uh, Matt in Chicago, keep your fingers crossed. We're not closing the door on Jimmy going to to the bears, but, um, Hey, you never know. Um, (laughs) great, great question coming up because, uh, first we had a a question from a Chicago bears fan. Now we get a question from a New York jets fan. So assuming Lawrence goes number one to the Jags and considering that Saul is the head coach, who do you think that the uh, jets will target at number two quarterback O-line defense I think Joe Douglas uh, and the Jets begin the all-gas, no-break era with a clean slate at quarterback, and that's who, they, that's who they're going to take. They're going to take a quarterback, probably Zach Wilson. However, I'm not sure if you guys heard Chris Sims today on NBC Sports Pro Football Talk, but he ranks Wilson as his clear-cut number one quarterback 
ahead of Trevor Lawrence. So who knows what might happen come April 29th. If the Jags agree with Sims and take Wilson, how funny would it be if the Jets ended up with Lawrence after all? <laughs> you know, uh, I'll, I'll throw it to Jeff in a second, but I, don't, I, don't, I think the, the, when I see those headlines, it, it, it just makes me shake my head. Now, unless he is privy to some information about this shoulder surgery that he just had is going to keep him out a little bit longer. I just don't know how anyone in their right mind outside of trying to create buzz would, would put anyone ahead of Lawrence, but Jeff, you're the big resident jets fan. So uh, what do you want the jets to do? Right. Well, uh, wouldn't that be amazing if half of the jets won one too many games that they got Lawrence anyway, I don't, I don't know where Chris Sims is coming from with that. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty clear unless he's just, too much time in your hands or reevaluating the positioning of the quarterbacks. It's pretty, like I said, it's been pretty clear for the past three years, or if not even longer, that Trevor Lawrence was going number one, no matter who, right? So definitely he's, he's going number one. And I would take Zach Wilson, you know, hopefully for the, for the Jets' sake or for our sake, right, the Jets don't take Zach Wilson and he doesn't have to go to New York. No offense to the Jets fans. Right. No offense. Not that <laughs> no not offense to the guy who just asked the question. You know, I was going to talk about, boy, wouldn't it be great if we took our podcast on the road, maybe went to the draft. Then I realized that the draft this year is in Cleveland and Jeff's already made too many enemies in Cleveland for us to show up there. So thanks, Jeff. Appreciate that. (laughs) So um, final question, um, Niner related. This is from Scott in North Santa Clara. Um, The Niners are middle of the pack in terms of the cap with approximately 16 million or so. Um, Not much flexibility. Would you rather have Jimmy and Trent Williams or Darnold or Mariota and then keep check and Sherman? So other words, Jimmy and Trent being kind of the big ticket items, or would you go lower level quarterback? He says Darnold or Mariota. So we're not putting Deshaun in this question. So would you rather have Darnold and Mariota to team with Trent? Use check. I think Sherman's out the door, but we'll we'll just keep use check. Uh, if I'm understanding the question correctly, Scott, um, basically it's Jimmy and Trent or Darnold slash Mariota and Trent. Is that is that the yeah. question? Yes. Yeah. No. I mean, for me, it, I would take Mariota. I would take Mariota and Trent Williams. Mariota and Trent Williams. Okay. Yeah. Jeff. Yeah, that's a tough one because we're just, you know, taking individ- you know, a few different individuals. I mean, I, I'm fine with, you know, at this point, right, if you stick with Jimmy and, and if we can resign Trent, um, if we can get, if the question is, if we can get Mariota maybe on a restructure and get Trent and use check, maybe I want to go that way instead. Yeah. The um, issue with the restructuring, I don't know if you guys had um, heard or read uh, from Dave David Lombardi of, of The Athletic is that the Niners cap situation – for 2022 apparently is already a little dicey in that they have $145 million committed already to only 19 players. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously we don't know what the cap's going to be in 2022 and we hope it'll be you know back upwards to 220 million or whatever. But just the fact that if you restructure a guy like Jimmy G, you're going to lose flexibility to cut him if that's what you decide to do, because you're going to end up owing him more money, which will be more dead money on the cap. Yeah, that's kind of those those conversations we had early on about restructuring and, and what it would take. And 
it's not, uh, I think people have the misconception that restructuring is these guys taking a pay cut and it's not, it's basically taking some of the money and just kicking more money down the road at an eventual point they're they're going to get cut and a larger portion of this money is now dead money. Um, my, my scenario, um, if I'm just taking Scott's question, I, I'm taking, um, uh, I'm actually going to take, go with you guys. I'm going to take Darnold or Mariota, sign Trent, keep use check that opposed to not being able to sign use check. However, if I'm, if I'm uh, allowed and I am because I'm part of the podcast um, to throw a variable in there is I would expect that um, trading up for a quarterback would be in that scenario. Cause I don't think Darnold or Mariota would be the long-term solution. So if that's the case, I would fully expect the Niners to move up a little bit, maybe to six or seven and get themselves a rookie quarterback that they would begin grooming. So that would be my thought. And the last, last question because of incentives is Jimmy, the only spot that we could free up cap space. And unless you've done a deep dive, you know, I don't, I don't really know if you guys have the only other guys that, you know, would make sense to restructure are guys who already have high cap numbers that you anticipate can be part of the team for a long time. Like Eric Armstead, he's a young enough guy where if you spread a little bit more of his money out, you can get a little bit of a discount, but that's the problem. And I guess that's the hindrance of the salary cap is it'd be great to sign Trent Williams to a big contract and not have to pay him this much, but we don't want to kick, you can't kick money down the road, you know, until, you know, Trent's 42 years old and you're still paying him. So the Niners don't have a lot of flexibility with their high priced talent because outside of Jimmy, which most, most teams don't have that flexibility with a quarterback. We've seen, you know, we talked about Russell Wilson having a $36 million dead cap hit and Stafford and Goff and all these guys who are taking big cap hits. That's the kind of beauty of uh, Jimmy is he doesn't have that and he can be restructured or moved to create cap space. Yeah. I mean, definitely you want to target guys who you plan on keeping around for a while. And I guess another guy, even though he may not make a ton of money, but just to free up a little bit more money is a guy like Lakin Tomlinson. I heard that they may look into restructuring his contract as well. Well, the problem with someone like Lakin is I think he probably wants to get paid even more. So if you restructure, but then up some of the price there, but then try to save on the cap, however you can do that. Um, part of the problem is I don't know who else you can pull money from besides Jimmy. Right. In fact, we got 40 free agents. So I don't know who else is even under contract. You can't take away from Bosa really. And Kittle just signed, but then we got the only thing maybe I've been thinking we can do is some sort of medical with D Ford and or uh, Richburg. If you can kind of uh, uh, whatever, wave them with a medical uh, mm-hmm. payoff or whatever. Yeah. Like so, so I think that's kind of one of the, the things that Niners brass will be working on this week leading up to free agency is how can they maximize cap space in terms of restructuring? Cause you don't want to get into free agency and have a guy ready to sign and not, you don't have the, you don't have the money. So you got to free up as much money as possible. So I would anticipate seeing some restructured contracts, possibly Eric Armstead in the next week or so freeing up some of the cap money, not to mention the cap, 
number hasn't even been finalized yet by the NFL. So that's got to come out before any of these teams decide who to devote money to, how they're going to spend it in free agency. So I think this is going to be a big week financially in the NFL. So you're going to start seeing teams do that. Jerry, final thoughts. Yes, sir. Um, well, I just wanted to thank you for booking Troy Clarity to be a guest on our show. I think that was great. I loved, uh, you know, all the stories he had to share. I think he had some really great insights on, you know, the the business of broadcasting and sports broadcasting. And I hopefully there's some young aspiring um, broadcasters in our listening audience because um, I think there are a lot of good nuggets that you know you can. Uh, take from from a lot from what he's what, from what he provided yeah yeah i mean i'll give a give a thanks to troy as well i mean i thought that was uh pretty entertaining i was uh always looking forward to what he was going to say next i mean some good stories some good excitement that that, that he kind of reminded me of gus johnson that's why i even mentioned that because there was some similarity there and i always enjoy watching a game that gus is doing so yeah i, I appreciated having him on and getting some insight um with that one other uh final thought uh, nugget that I was going to bring up was talking about quarterbacks again. I, I saw Fitzpatrick somewhere there. I think who's banging the banging the table for Fitzpatrick? Was that Jerry? That's a Jerry. Um, That's a Jerry he, table banger. Yeah, he's saying that he wants an opportunity, I guess, somewhere to compete for a starting job. So maybe yep. that's still on the table to bring him in, uh, maybe cheap enough. Or if you could trade Jimmy and bring in Fitzpatrick and, and Alex Smith, and they can all battle it out. <laughs> But then a geriatric quarterback room draft somebody then I guess at that point, but yeah. Very nice. Um, keeping it short and sweet. My final thoughts um, include thanking Troy uh, for joining us. That was, it's fun. Um, Troy and I, uh, like he mentioned, we met in 1997 uh, when we both uh, were working for KMBR and the ticket 1050. Uh, he's been a great guy. He's always been in contact uh, with me. Um, as you guys can see, he's, he's got a, great bubbly outgoing personality. He's a great storyteller. Um, so big thanks to him. Um, also switching totally different gears, pitchers and catchers have reported, which isn't news and baseball's around the corner, as you can tell by the nice weather that we got out here in California, again, not news, but I will say now that spring training is here, the movie Major League has been making its rotation on TV a lot in the past two weeks, and I haven't watched it. And this morning, I, I caught it two minutes in, and I loved it. I loved it more this morning than I did 20, 30 years ago when it first came out. It is such an enjoyable movie. It is so fun and funny and irreverent, and to see... Veghead and Dorn and Old Man Taylor and Pedro Serrano. I mean, it's one of those movies that is a classic that never intended to be. It was intended to be a fun popcorn movie for a summer, and it has lasted the test of time. And I can't tell you how excited I was just to watch it and recap because it's one of those movies that you kind of see and you're like, yeah, I know the premise and it's funny, blah, blah, blah. But to actually sit down and watch it again was re really enjoyable. So hats yeah. off to Major League for, once again, bringing, bringing the funny and, and providing the entertainment for me. Yeah, brought the heater. Even the heater. Just, yeah, just to add on that, it intended as a spoof, yet how many times have we watched that movie? I mean, just 
countless times. Hundreds. And then I've, now my kids have watched it a bunch of times. So it's kind of been passed along, right? And there's so many little like you know, sayings and quotes from that movie too. Willie Mays, hey, it's like whatever. You know, it's just, it's, it's the classic now. I mean, it's great. I, we love uh, it. I know. Greatest baseball movie? Is that the greatest baseball movie <laughs> ever made? I don't know. I, I don't know about that, but let's okay, well, which one's better? Let's bring that to the table next week. <laughs> there could be some discussion. It might be. It might be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and, and I'll tell you, I'll t- actually, let me just tell you the only minor um, issue I have with Major League. No one in their right mind would bat Jake Taylor second in the lineup. Right. There's no way the old man who can't run would bat second. Yet in the end, Willie Mays Hayes gets on base by a chopper and up comes old man Jake. There's no way he'd be batting. Terry Steinbach never batted that high. You know, come hey, on it's, now. It's the old Robodope. Dude dropped the perfect bunt. Look at that. He did. But, no. All right, fellas. Well, thanks again for joining us. Remember, follow us on Twitter at Three Side Sports. Send in your questions. Rate, like, and subscribe at the podcast platform of your choosing. Again, thanks to Troy Clarity for joining us. We will see you next week. Good night.